open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning, to the book of Ephesians, and we are looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesian church under this heading, Who Am I? Who am I? Answering the question, where do we find our identity? Where do we find our purpose and place in this world? And Paul has written now for almost three full chapters telling us that we are in Christ. Now what he hasn't said is uh, what that being in Christ will get you. Well, what will be the net result of being in Christ? He's told us what it means that we are in Christ and because of being in Christ, what we have in Christ. But what is it that will be the end result? And we come to a very famous passage of Scripture, in fact, a very famous verse in the Bible that we love to quote, that we love to announce, but we don't understand the context of what brings us to that place. Uh, that Scripture is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It goes like this, Now to Him, that is God, who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. What God is declaring in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, is to any and all who are in Christ, God says, I have a guarantee for you. I have a promise for you. I have something for those who by faith bow the knee and trust me as their personal Savior. And here is the guarantee. Here is the promise that God has for His people. I will do far more abundantly than you could ever ask for, or the New Testament says, or imagine. God wants to knock your socks off. He wants to grace you with His goodness and His love. And He wants you to experience all of who He is in this world. Now we read that and we say, God, I want you to do far more abundantly than I could ask for or imagine in my marriage. And in my family. God, I want you to do those amazing things in my workplace. I want you to do those amazing things in my school, in my neighborhood, in our country, in this world. God, I want you to do abundantly more than I could ask for or think about. I want you to bring heaven down to earth. And God says this, without any provisos, without any disclaimers, you can have that. You can experience that. You can achieve that in me. Now the question is, how do we get verse 20 into our lives? Verses 14 through 21 are going to help us get there. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to pray that we would experience this guarantee from God. And here's the guarantee. You may want to write this down. In light of what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we've learned all that Christ has done for us. He's taken us out of darkness and death and brought us into life and light. He's done so by the finished work of Christ on the cross. So all that Christ has done for us, God promises. He guarantees to bless every believer in this place and in the world in unbelievable ways as we rest and rely on the Holy Spirit. As we rest and rely on the Holy Spirit. 
What we need to hear today is that God is not the one keeping you from the great things that He has in store for you. We, because we rest and rely on ourselves, instead of the Holy Spirit, forfeit any of that experiencing of God's blessing in our lives. And so Paul prays that you and I would experience these blessings, these unbelievable ways that God wants to move and act in our lives in direct correspondence to how much we're resting and relying on the Holy Spirit. To live that out. If that's what you want in your life, if that's what you're longing for, looking for in your Christian life, God says, I guarantee it can happen. I guarantee it can happen because I'm able to do it. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Write a couple things down right away. First of all, it begins with complete humility. Complete humility. This idea of humility comes with the understanding that you are not the end all. It is this belief that Paul says, I get on my knees. You see, when they prayed in the first century, they prayed standing up. Paul says, I get on my knees. I want to show my dependence to you, God. I want to show my my uh, desire to serve you. I want you to know that I see you as in charge and me in submission. I want you to know that I believe you to be nobility and me to be something less than that. You are king. I am not. And it's this understanding that Paul recognizes what the book of James tells us, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace. He gives blessings to the humble. And so we need to be humble. Number two, we need to have complete hope. It says, for this reason, I bow on my knees and I do so before the Father. Why? Because the Father of whom I'm turning my attention to, that Father is the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than I could ever ask for or imagine. So I'm going to the one who is able to bring that blessing into my life. And I have confidence, I have this confident hope that as I humble myself, God will begin to pour out His blessings and His goodness into my life. Now, where is God getting all of this grace, all of this goodness? Notice in our passage, it's all done according to the riches of His glory. According to the riches of His glory, He has more than enough to share with us of His goodness and His grace. And so He's opening the coffers of heaven and He's extending to us this guarantee. Now, when we talk about guarantees, when we purchase things, guarantees are things that are of great value to us. A guarantee is a promise or assurance made by a company or seller to the buyer that the product or service that they are going to sell is going to meet certain expectations. And if not, that company will take responsibility for it. In doing so, it reduces the perceived risk of the buyer. It provides a safety net for the buyer and it builds a trust between the buyer and the seller. When you know there's a guarantee to the product or something you're purchasing, there's a confidence to live in freedom, not bondage. 
I remember uh, being told uh, that uh, after breaking my cell phone, uh, I was given a new cell phone screen protector. And the whole thing was, is listen, we guarantee its use. And if anything happens to your phone, you don't worry about it. We'll buy you a new phone. We are so confident that this screen protector is going to protect your screen that if the chance does happen, that it does crack, we'll take care of it. I was able to live in freedom, in liberty. I didn't worry about my phone because I had this provider who said, no matter what befalls the phone that I'm holding in my hand, I can have confidence, I can have trust that there's someone standing behind that promise that would be good to addressing it if anything was to come my way. For us as believers... We are putting all of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are saying, I am weak, you are strong. I am dumb, you are wise. I am frail, you are faithful. And I'm putting all of my eggs into the Jesus basket. And what God says through the Apostle Paul is, I will make good on your faith. I will make good on your trust. I will not make you ashamed of this. I will not betray you in this. That you can trust me. You can rely on me. And I want to guarantee it. I am able to do, listen to me, more than you could ever ask for or imagine. I can bless you in ways you have never thought possible. Now, the problem is, we read this and we're like, well, wait a minute. I don't see this. So something must be wrong. And we're quick to then point to God and say, God, you must not be living up to your end of the bargain. But it isn't that God isn't living up to the end of the bargain. He has said we need to humble ourselves. We need to have confident hope. And He has the riches to do so. But in order for us to experience this, we need to place ourselves in a place of receiving God's goodness and grace. To do so, we need to learn a couple things about this guarantee. Number one, it gives us strength for the journey. So here Paul says that he's going to pray that we would live in light of the guarantee of God. That we would live in light, in liberty, and in freedom. And that we would live in confidence that the God who says all these things about us in Christ, that these things would be realities in our lives, that we would experience them. And Paul says in verse 16, that according to his riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's stop there. What Paul says is is that we as Christians need some strength. We need strength and power for the journey. He recognizes and knows that we are finite, broken people. That we are weak That we are battered by temptation and tribulation and trials. 
and that those issues and struggles come and they beat us down. And, and what Paul wants us to know is you don't have to be defeated by those things. And so he says, I want you to know that according to the riches of God in Christ, that we have been granted, He has given us, God has given each Christian here strength in power. That phrase, strengthened with power, comes from the Greek word where we get our English word dynamite. Dynamite. Explosive power. And what Paul is saying to the Christians today is that you and, ha- you and I have within us explosive power. Earth-shattering power. Now this power that he has spoken about, he said earlier uh, in chapter 1 that this same power is the same power that's at work in us, is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave. That stone-moving and earthquaking power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, listen to me, church, is alive and well in you and me. It's there. Now again, you're like, well, I don't feel it. Well, we need to understand that we need to be strengthened with that power. That dynamite power needs to be placed in us and notice where it's placed by. It is placed by His Spirit. So His Spirit's got to do this. His Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, has to infuse us with this power and notice where this power has to begin. Notice the power is in us. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That power is there. The problem is, is there's a disconnect with the power that's within us and what we think. Notice in the text that we are to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Where? Not in your biceps. Not in your hamstrings. Not in your quadriceps. Not in your calves. But in your inner being. The reason why is because the inner being is the place where the person thinks, feels, and believes. And Paul says our identity begins there. It doesn't matter what strength you have at your disposal if you don't think you really have it. When I was a young boy, I went with my grandparents to the Shriners Circus in the city of Chicago. And my uh, grandparents took us and we got to the parking lot. And as we were walking through the parking lot, they had all the circus animals all around. And I remember seeing the elephants. And there was a whole herd, probably maybe a dozen elephants. It was crazy. And I remember seeing the elephants and thinking, they're not even in cages. They're just standing there. And I remember as a little boy, I was probably seven or eight years of age, and I remember seeing a rope hooked to the leg of each of the elephants. And then the the rope went, and it was a pretty long rope, but it wasn't that big of a rope, and it was hooked to the chain link fence. And I remember thinking in my eight-year-old mind, there is no way that that chain link fence can stop the elephant from moving if he wants to. So pulling at my grandfather, I said, Grandpa, 
Don't those elephants know that they can go wherever they want and do whatever they want? And my grandfather said they have been conditioned into thinking as long as that rope's around their leg, they can't go anywhere. The devil in this world has told Christians, you ain't got no power. And you and I, as Christians, are as powerful as elephants. But the devil has wrapped this little rope around a part of our being. Maybe a part of our thinking. Maybe a part of our life. And he has said, as long as this thing's around you, you can't do nothing. As long as this thing's around you, you can't accomplish anything. And we have bought into that. And that's what keeps us silent. And that's what keeps us from moving because we truly believe we are harnessed when the Spirit of God says we are free. We are powerful. And little do we know that just by moving our leg or our arm with just a minimal amount of our might, we could rip out the very thing that is holding us captive. You see, the devil has told quite many of us that a sin, a temptation, a struggle, an issue, an idiosyncrasy that you have, uh, maybe a lack of of education or, or a lack of experience or all manner of excuses are holding you back from the unthinkable things that God wants to do in your life. And the reason why is you are in captivity in the thinking of your mind. You're believing lies instead of believing the power that God, the dynamite power that God has strengthened you with to be able to have. And so as people walk by you, they see, wow, you should have power. You talk about this power of God, but you're hooked up to a chain link fence and you're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere. Well, I can't. I'm hooked, I'm attached, I'm kept in captivity. And here Paul says, what God wants to give you is strength for the journey. Dynamite power for the journey to rip up whatever stakes are in the ground, whatever's holding you back from the full experience of what it is to be in Christ. And so notice, he says, how do we fix this? How do we fix this issue? He says, we have to have Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. So what we have to do, listen to me very carefully, is we have to believe greater is He that is in us than that rope that's chaining us to the fence. I have to believe by faith that God has given me way more to say no to sin and say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness. And I have to believe that I have a dynamite strength within me that can shake this world for Christ. Now I'm no longer held back by my uh, sin. No longer am I held back by my struggles. No longer am I held back by the lies of people around me. Now I live in victory because of one who is living in me. But how do I get there? Notice Christ has to dwell in my heart. What it means is, is it's not that God hasn't given you the power it is that you've not tapped into the power 
The power's there. You just haven't tapped into it. And trying to figure out how to illustrate this, I thought of my internet connection at my home and at your home. We live in an internet world. Everything that we have in our houses now has to be connected to the internet. And the more that we connect, the more bandwidth that we need to be able to accomplish what is necessary. And so our houses have to have a good Wi-Fi signal because now we don't even use wires anymore. It's all through signals. And and so the problem is, is for many of us, our houses are too big for the signal carrier to get to other places. So your house is on the left. And you're able to get to some parts of your house, not all of the house. What Paul is saying is is that you need to find a router that is strong enough to take the source from the modem, and I'm getting technical for some of you, the modem, and get it to everyday life. Get it to your phone, get it to your tablet, get it to your uh, television, get it to uh, whatever technology you're using in your home. And so what that means is I've got to tap into the source. The source is there. I've got a modem. I've got internet coming to my house. What I have to do is tap into that internet source. And what that means, Paul says, is you've got to allow Christ to dwell in you. So leave the picture of the house up there. Robert Munger years ago wrote a booklet that sold hundreds of thousands of copies called My Heart, Christ's Home. Maybe some of you have read it. And and it's an incredible, simple little book that has incredible depth to it. And what it does is it takes the house and it uses the house as a metaphor for your heart. And it asks the question, is Christ dwelling in your heart? And what he's saying is, is, is Christ dwelling in your kitchen? And if he is, that's great. But is he in your family room? Is he in your bedroom? Is he in your closet? Is he in the bathroom? Is he in the garage? And what Munger does is he uses every part of the house as a part of our lives. So he uses the kitchen. He says, is Christ your nutrients? Is Christ where you go to get food? Or are you seeking your nutrients somewhere else? How about is Christ in your family room? You're like, well, what is Christ going to do in my family room? Is Christ a part of the media that you are bringing in? Are you saturating yourself when you're watching television and and online? Are you saturating your things of God, of Christ, or of the world? How about where you find your rest? He goes to the bedroom. Where you find your rest? Are you resting in God, in Christ, or are you resting in yourself? How about the closets of your life? Does Christ have reign and rule there? Or is or are the closets of your life where you hide things from Christ, where you keep your secrets? And what Munger says in his book is is what I'm saying with regards to the internet. Christ has to rule and reign in all parts of our lives. There can't be a part of our life that we say is our own. The second we do that, we become like the house on the left. There are parts in our lives where we will never experience the fullness of Christ and His love for us. And for some of us this morning, the reason why you are not seeing God do immeasurably more than you can ask for or imagine is because you've locked the door to certain parts of your life not to allow Christ to dwell. And so what Munger says is you got to open those doors 
to allow Christ to dwell in you richly. That every part of your life, the house on the left, that every part of your life is tapped into the source of heaven so that all of His goodness, all of His grace may abound in your life as Christ dwells in you. Now, you do this by faith. You do this by faith, believing, I need you, Jesus, in my life every moment. And so I'm going to pick up your word. And I'm not going to start a day without knowing what your word has to say. I'm not going to go a day without praying and and asking for you to uh, intervene in my life. I'm not going to go a day without being involved in other believers' lives so that I can see your goodness and your grace. I'm going to rest. I'm going to rely on the leading of your spirit. So that every part of my life is tapped into the one who is able to do more than I could ever ask for or imagine. Is Christ dwelling in your life? A better way to put it is on your phone when you hook up to a Wi-Fi signal. It will show you the different bars, you know, the little dot and the bars that go over it. Ask your question as you go about life. What part of your life is the signal strong? Right now the signal's really strong. 5G, right? I mean, you're super strong. You're in the Word. The Word's open in your lap. You've sung praises to God. You're with God's people. And then you get in the parking lot and you head away and the signal gets a little smaller and smaller. And then you start looking at things and participating in things that you shouldn't. And the signal gets smaller and smaller. You go to work and you're uh, a covert Christian. Nobody knows who you are and that signal is less and less. Or in your neighborhoods or in your community. And what you begin to find out is the reason why God isn't doing abundantly more than you could ask or think is not because God's not able. He says, I am able right in the text. I guarantee it. He says that we're not allowing Christ to dwell. So how do we allow Christ to dwell? Notice he goes on and he prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love and may have the strength. Now notice, we just talked about that strength. That dynamite power that would strengthen us to get us through the journey. Where does that strength come from? It comes from thinking to comprehend. Notice, this isn't physical strength. This is internal strength, knowing that God is who He says He is, and if what He says about Himself is true, and what He says about us is true, then I am going to live differently in light of what I know of myself and what I know about God. And what am I to comprehend? The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth that I would know, that word know there literally is is an intimate experience. That I would deeply experience the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, back to the Wi-Fi. For me to experience the fullness of God, to have all that I can experience in God, it begins with me knowing with my head 
and experiencing in my life the love of Christ. I need to know I am loved by the God of the universe. And I am so loved that He took me, even though I was a rebel against Him, He took me and by His amazing grace, He has saved me and is saving me and will save me when I see Him face to face. And He is gifting me and gracing me with His love and His mercy. Now, I'm supposed to comprehend this supposed to comprehend the breadth, the length, height, and depth. What Paul is saying here is simple. I want you to know the totality of what it means to be loved by Christ. Now, right away we say, well, I know that I'm loved by God. Since I was a little kid, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I know this. I know that Jesus loved me because He died on the cross for me. When we say that, we do what I did some months ago when Amanda and I had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. We went to the Grand Canyon, and let's just hold the picture there for a moment. I started calling people I know and Facebook messaging them and and video chatting with them. and, And one of the people that I did that with was my dad. And my dad's sitting in his house in Hinkley, and I'm showing him, and it does, you know, of course, no justice to what you're seeing. And I make the statement to my father as I'm closing it out, well, I can take this off my list. I have seen the Grand Canyon. Of which my father says, no, you haven't. I'm like, I'm looking at it right now. I've seen the Grand Canyon, Dad. He says, no, no, you haven't. So what are you talking about? He goes, you go to the other side? Well, no. Did you go into it? No. Did you take some pictures from inside of it? No. Did you take the donkeys down, the mules down into it like the Brady Bunch did? No. Did you camp down there? No. Did you get into all the ravines and crevices? No, I get it. Okay, Dad, I get it. I've not seen... The Grand Canyon. Thank you very much. I gotta go. Signal's really bad here. (laughs) What my dad was trying to get across is you say you have seen and what you're articulating is you've experienced this. But the problem is, is the Grand Canyon is so immense so expansive for you to simply take a look at the observation deck, seen it, been there, done that, you've missed the entire point. Because as you'll see, there's a lot more to the Grand Canyon than what I saw. You start to learn and recognize there's way more for me to experience. There's way more for me to have seen, for me to encounter. There are places, there are moments, there are nooks, there are crannies to this experience that I have not even scratched the surface, even though I say, I get it. I know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And what Paul says is, I pray that you will experience the fullness of God. Now, how can we, and just keep fluttering through those pictures, how can we experience the fullness of God 
if the knowledge of God and His love for us surpasses our ability to know? How in the world? Because He says, listen, God loves you so much that preacher, you can't even explain it on paper. God loves you so much, you can't, you can't write it down. God loves you so much that you can't put it into words. And so, let's go back to the Grand Canyon for a moment. If I was to go to the observation deck, look out at the Grand Canyon, see the Grand Canyon, and say, I've experienced the Grand Canyon, your answer should be like my father's, no, you haven't. Maybe in part, but not in full. Paul says for you and I to experience the fullness of the love of Christ, notice what he says in verse 18, that we may have the strength to comprehend. How can we comprehend that which surpasses knowledge? Do you see that? Do you see that in verse 19? The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. He prays in verse 18 that we would have the strength to comprehend it. How will we comprehend it? Underline this. The way you and I comprehend it is with all the saints. It's with all the saints. Now, if you and I were at the Grand Canyon and I stood there and I looked and I took a picture of my vista of the Grand Canyon said, I've experienced the Grand Canyon, you'd say, no, no, you haven't. But what if I gave all of you cameras and said, I want you guys to go explore the Grand Canyon and I want you to go in all of the places and, and uh, let's meet back here tomorrow, this time, this place, and let's share notes with one another. Let me ask you this. Who will have experienced more? Me by myself or me collectively with a group of people? The answer is collectively. Because we're going to get together and we're going to share all the photos that we have of this Im immeasurable thing. Will we have experience to its fullness? No. But I will have an ability, I will have a comprehension that exceeds my knowledge. Because you will have gone places I couldn't. You will have gone places where I didn't go and where I didn't get to experience. And now, through you, I get to experience a greater understanding of the Grand Canyon. Listen to me, church. God's love is so expansive. God's love for us is so big that one single person would not be able to take it all in. And so God has said He has created the church. This is what Cisco talked about last week. He takes the church and He uses the church as a way to display His glory and He wants us to take it in. And the reason why we all take it in from all of our places and all our backgrounds with all of our baggage is this. So that we will tell one another about the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And as you tell me about how God is loving you, and as I tell you about how God is loving me, we are displaying to one another the expansiveness, the height, the breadth, the length, the depth and height of the love of Christ to each other. And we begin to declare that truth. And as we see the love of Christ being lived out in others' lives, we start to recognize, I am truly loved. 
that that God who loves them loves me the same way. That God, the way He loves those people in my small group or in my Bible study or in my student ministries, the way He loves them is the way He loves me. Now I begin to see the totality of God's love. Now I begin to experience what it is to be filled with all the fullness of God. And so now Paul, after saying all of this, it gives us strength for the journey. It grounds us in the Savior's love. And what does this guarantee do? This guarantee says God wants to grace our socks off. He wants to give you His goodness and His grace in ways that you could never imagine. God's doing amazing and great things in the world. His power is at work. The question is, are you tapped into it? God wants to do amazing things in your marriage. Are you resting and relying on the Spirit of God for that? How about in your families? How about at your work or in your school or in your neighborhood or in your relationships or in your finances or against your fight against sin or in this church? God wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. The question is, am I tapped into God's love for me? Is Christ dwelling in me? I love what Eugene Peterson says when he paraphrases this passage. He says this. This comes straight from the message, straight from our text. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out heaven and earth. And I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you. Listen. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. Hold it there. Go back. I couldn't get quick enough. There's the guarantee. God wants to knock your socks off. God wants to grace your socks off if you will allow Christ to live in you as you open the door and invite Him in. Will you do that this morning? Now He goes on and He says this, And I ask that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does this not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His Spirit deeply and gently uh, gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. Is God at work. Are you experiencing this great guarantee that will enable you, as we're going to learn next week, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? We will never live out the calling God has for us until we truly tap into the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? And when we fall in love with that and we allow the fullness of that to embrace us, it is then and only then that the goodness and grace of God will come running after us.